Welcome everyone. My guest today is Chris Carnell from Rise Up Rockstar. Chris is an entrepreneur and seasoned business person and he is here to help and give back to the community with his new venture, Rise Up Rockstar. It's a mastermind group of people who want to achieve greater levels of success in life, both in business and personally. And as you hear Chris talk, you will understand he has such a wealth of knowledge being in large corporations, running large teams, all the way down to starting many of his own companies. You'll hear the sincerity in his voice of how he wants to leave a legacy and serve others by helping them achieve their goals and aspirations. I hope you enjoy this episode. And once again, thank you so much for listening. everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on my show. I really appreciate you lending me your ears and listening to the podcast. I have a really special guest on today. After running into him a couple of times back and forth on different websites, Facebook, we're actually in some programs together. Chris Carnell is my guest and he's like a renaissance man. After all the stuff that I've looked up because I like to educate myself on my guests, I was just tired looking at his website and all the things that he has done. So Chris, welcome, man. Thank you so much for being here. Joe, I appreciate it, buddy. It's an honor to be here. I, I feel all of a sudden like I'm a, a, a jack of all trades and a master of none after that description. Not at all, man. It's just like you're doing all these things that I aspire to do and, and we're kind of working towards those goals and our own separate paths, but um, you've done a lot and you're, you're continuing to do it. I just, your core message is just really cool. And um, Rise Up Rockstars is this whole program that you have and I'm excited to learn so much more about it. Yeah, thank you. It's, you know, it, it's, it's been in me for a long, long time. And I think you alluded to some of the intersections of our recent past. And I think it's all of those things that I'm so grateful for that we're out seeking all of this additional knowledge so that we can get better for the purpose of serving and helping others. And that's really how Rise Up Rockstar was born. You know, I I grew up in Brazil and I had some really interesting experiences throughout my life that have led to these core tenets and core beliefs. And one of them is, uh, it's it's, it's a Bob Marley statement, right? It's everything is gonna be all right. And the way that I got there, it, it, just three really important things happened in my life. My, the, one of the first things when I was young was I'm a little kid, nine and a half, 10 years old, sitting in the backseat of a car, and I see my dad just jump out and, and run into this crowd, and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And he, he, he's getting kicked, and all these grown men are standing around. I couldn't tell if it was a fight. I couldn't tell if it was a conversation. And it turned out that there were these two little poor boys that, you know, Brazil, Sao Paulo, Brazil, where we live, there's, there is the half of 1% and then there was everybody else at the time. So it was feast or famine for a lot of these families. And these, these two young kids had come into this art school where we were and stolen some food. And these adults, unfortunately, took it upon themselves to penalize these kids. And my dad saw that and being a righteous guy, he jumped out of our car and ran over and jumped on the kids to protect them, you know, putting himself at risk. And my mom was crying and she was screaming and I'm sitting in the back seat, not quite knowing what's going on. My sister fortunately was too young to really recognize what was happening. And my dad got the boys released and then came back in the car and he was crying and everybody just started crying before we figured it out. My mom, my mom kind of gave me one of these, everything's going to be okay, Chris, everything's going to be okay moments. And I thought, I don't know how everything's going to be okay coming out of that, but everything's going to be all right. I'll trust you, mom. Right. And, and that whole same philosophy kind of evolved over time through different life lessons. And the, the most poignant of all of them was um, you, you lived in New York for a long time and I was working in New York while my wife was pregnant with our second child. I got a call one day from an emergency room physician at a hospital in Scottsdale. And he said, Mr. Carnell, uh, my name is Dr. James Ozebrado, and I am the emergency room physician. Your wife has gone into labor. I said, what are you talking about? She's 27 weeks pregnant. How could she possibly go into labor? 
I'm in, I'm in my office in New York, right? Hearing, talking to this guy, kind of in shock, thinking, this just doesn't seem right. And he said, there was an infection. There was a high, t- the baby, the temperature was very high. I don't remember exactly the, 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 the temperature itself. And we've got to take it out. We've got to take her out. I said, is my wife okay? And they said, so far, your wife's okay. And so I panic, book a ticket, um, all the airports. I mean, you know how busy the airports are there, right? By the grace of God, I found a ticket a couple hours later where I could fly direct from Newark to Phoenix. And as I'm leaving Midtown, we, we decided to go across the George Washington Bridge instead of cutting through the tunnel. And my driver's pulling up and, and, and we're crossing the bridge and this on-ramp comes, is, is right next to me on the right-hand side. And this little white car comes flying up the on-ramp. Literally, it looks like it's about to tip over on, on the two side wheels and comes up and cuts us off. And I thought I was going to get hit. I was bracing for impact. I was kind of in this funky place that I, you know, you, you don't really want to go back to. And as it pulls up and, and gets ahead of us, I look over, realizing we didn't get hit. And I look down at the bumper and there's a bumper sticker on this car. And it said, everything's going to be all right. And I just went, wow. <laughs> you know, that, that, that phrase has just resonated in my life time and time and time again, and very long-windedly, sorry for that, it's how Rockstar was born too. You know, when, when COVID hit and everybody was in their initial phase of, I don't know what this means to me, I'm going into my own panic. I have a lot of friends like you and your listeners that own businesses, and many of them are second-generation business owners where their employees have been, their the families have been employees for decades. And my friends who are running the businesses today were afraid at the time and actually their fears unfortunately came true. They had to lay off 40, 50, 80% of their workforce. And it was just running rampant through my community. And everybody around me seemed to be coming to me with these same questions and concerns. And then what do we do during the lockdown? How do we do this? What I'm scared. I'm worried. I don't know what to think. I don't know where to go. And I finally said, I've got to do something about this. I've been leading large scale teams for a long time. And what I found is the reason that I'm typically put someplace is because I'm pretty good at leading through certainty when there is no certainty in that environment. And so Rockstar was born out of my desire to help all of these people get together in a mastermind where they could just get on a phone call or on a Zoom call and see each other and talk to each other about the issues that they were dealing with. Was this always remote when you started it um, or had it ever been where you actually all got together in a boardroom somewhere? Yeah, no, we have never been together. And it's in its second iteration now, um, going into its third iteration. And you know, I built this group, we built this group together of 20 people that, you know, some, real, some senior leaders, CEOs, board chairs, um, senior execs in their organizations, really just to talk things through. And Rockstar was all about how, what happens when you get knocked down? Because we all get knocked down to our knees at some point in our lives. And it's never that time when you're knocked down, it's, it's how you get back up. And what I have learned is the way you get back up is by serving other people. So my own selfish version of my, my subscription in Rockstar was, I'm helping these people and that's gonna help me get back up too because I'm not quite sure what's happening. So we just went from there and it's been, it's been incredible. Yeah, is there different levels to the, so I know there's a high level one cause I saw that one and, and I know that the, the amount of revenue per year, number of employees and so that's a different program. So besides that one upper, and you can totally talk about that in a second, but is there other levels uh, underneath that or just one level? And then it's the jump up to the larger one. Yeah. So what we did initially, and great question. Thanks for asking. That. What we did initially was we had the incubator mastermind right? Which was really just testing the hypothesis of, are we going to be able to, are these business leaders even going to be able to communicate with each other the way that they're communicating with me individually? If I get 20 people in a room, are they going to feel like, oh, I've got to sit up like this and and be really tough and I can't be, there's no way that I can actually open myself up 
uh, in, in, in this particular venue because they might be a competitor that's on the other end of the phone and they might smell weakness or sense weakness, but it was the exact opposite. So that incubator group of 20 um, exists and it evolved into a different type of group where I started to sense that some of the people in there wanted some additional challenges. So in the initial incubator mastermind group, what, what happens is I'll come in with a topic and talk about the topic and train on the topic for 15 to 30 minutes. And then for the next 30 minutes or so, we'll have a group conversation. And then for 30 minutes, we'll have someone in a hot seat that's actually dealing with something that they need to really get out that, that week. The evolution or, or a, a tributary from that kind of river, if I may, is what we call N90, which is a 90-day challenge for three goals, three particular lessons, and 90 days to go after them and, and hit them. And that's been a real fun process too, which is different. And now the next evolution, the, the incremental evolution to that too is the digital academy that I'm building out so that it doesn't have to be like this directly because not everybody can hop on a call at two o'clock Pacific time, five o'clock Eastern. A lot of people like to do things on their own. So we're building that out and, and surrounding that with an inner circle group so that we still have the the face-to-face -face contact at a certain schedule, but everybody can do things at their own pace. However, they still get the same type of community that they can build on, you know, in a Facebook group and in all the other ways that we're doing that. So it's iterated into three different things now, and I'm sure as, as proof points continue to be made and as people tell me that they'd like to do something one way or the other, and we go and we test that, um, that there'll be more versions of it too. Yeah, that's really cool. Can you give me an example of like if you, you walked into the, let's say for the argument's sake that we're in this virtual world right now, right? So you walk into one of these sessions that you're having and you bring in this topic, what would an example topic be? Oh, lots of them. Boy, so one of the, one of the things that I love doing is talking about identity, right? Because in order for people to grow through any type of trauma or crisis or event like we're facing now, you can't just look straight into it because you get bogged down with the weight of whatever you're going through. I've always found, and I was taught, it's really healthy to figure out you know, who you are, who you want to become, and what the path is in between there. So what that connection gap is, and I call it the identity gap. Very similar, like what's, what's the trouble that you're facing? What's the solution that you want? And how do you get there? So with respect to, you know, it's actually three sessions uh, consecutively, it's building out your identity through strengths, values, and then your own core operating principles, and then tying those back to those of your company. Or if you're the leader of the company, getting your people to do the exercise and then tying together so that you're tying together core values. You're leading with empathy at that point, but you're also leading with authority where you're guiding people down a particular path. So we focused for three weeks on building up that kind of where are we now phase and where do we want to go and what do we have to do in between? And we handled that with individual strengths, individual values and individual operating principles and then pairing them together. Another big one with leaders that I found is, you know, kind of a, a newer terminology, which is imposter syndrome. You know, we face that in so many different ways and so many people talk about it. But if you're not doing what you're doing or you're not doing what I'm doing, you don't really know what that term imposter syndrome is. But if you ask somebody if they've ever walked into a boardroom and felt like they're the dumbest person in the room or the, the person that has the least to contribute or whatever it might be, or if they're the luckiest one to be in there and they've never really accomplished something, they'll all say, oh, yeah, yeah, that was me. And then you can, you can ask how that manifests in their day-to-day -day lives. And so we spend time doing that. But a lot of it is, is really just building up that base at a higher level than where they were before so that while it's not ever completely infallible, it's a lot stronger. So if you do happen to go to here and then fall back, you've got a higher base than where you were before and you've learned some skills along the way that typically a male senior leader won't get into. You'll, you think you're a tough guy and mm -hmm. Feelings don't matter, and I can power through this, and all those kind of things. I had a guy this morning when I, I was talking to him, uh, somebody that I coach, and, and he's on the fringe of Rockstar, right? He's not in it. He's kind of tipping his toes in every now and then, and he was going to the doctor to get some blood drawn because he's got a high iron level. And, and I said, 
I don't know a lot about high iron, but I know a lot about health and fitness. Have you ever tracked your sleep patterns? And he goes, oh man, you are such a hippie. What are you talking about tracking sleep patterns? And I said, hippie? When's the last time somebody used that word that's not over the age of 50? And so we got a kick out of it, but it's really, it's introducing concepts that people sometimes think they're a little bit above or a little bit beyond because they want to focus on others so they don't spend enough time focusing on themselves. And that's why identity and health and, you know, mindset is a little bit overused. So it's not as much mindset. It's more about how you figure out your goals and what your core beliefs are and what's holding you back and what do we need to do to move forward. So the crux of Rockstar is we all get punched in the face. It's what we do after that and how we can help others understand that they'll get punched in the face too and what they can do. So paying it forward all the way through. Is there a, a balance in the group? Like, how do you, do you cap it at 20? So let's say all of a sudden there's, you know, you have another session. I, I see that you have sessions that ended in July. I don't know if I saw anything in August, but then I see September again. Do you cap each of these mastermind sessions to 20 people? And do you try to blend it so that there is a, a, not a, a large disparate sort of um, gap between the different people in the group or, or is, uh, how does that work? Yeah, it's again, another great question. So the courses that you've seen are in N90. Those dates in N90 are actually a calendar for the 90 days that that program occupies. So that one is shut down unless somebody wants to come in and and kind of, we'll call it audit, kind of like in college when you're not really officially taking the class, but you want to learn, uh, just not for a full grade. That's that's kind of what I allow people to do today, just to stick their feet in to see if they like it and listen and participate. Um, it gets tough though, because the, the sanctity and the confidentiality and the community that gets built in each group is one that if you let one person in that's bad blood or, or just isn't the right fit, um, it, it disturbs the entire ecosystem that you've worked so hard to build. So with Rockstar, my goal initially is building individual groups of these, and it doesn't have to be 20, it can be 12 to 15 to 20, um, and taking them through 10 sessions. So it's, it's 10 monthly sessions with weekly interactions. And whether you start in session three or session seven, it doesn't matter because they're not consecutive where you have to sit through one to get to two to get to three to get to four so if you're a good fit in a group or you know somebody and somebody wants to bring you into one great my goal ultimately with it if i look forward three to five years it's to have these pod type communities built all around the world and then integrating the different parts of the world together so taking a group let's just say for example we don't have this but let's say for example we have 20 people in the northeast of the united states and then we have 20 people in Australia and we want to blend those two groups or we have 10 people in Egypt and 10 people in the UK and we want to blend those groups together. Ultimately, my goal is to build bridges across the entire world so that people that are dealing with some of these issues that they're dealing with recognize that not only do other people have those issues too, but now you're building friendships and you're building a different level of community so that if you own a company that decides that, Hey, we need to expand over here. You've already got those contacts there and you've already got somebody that you can trust and you've got somebody that you know deeply rather than just, you know, Hey Joe, who do you know in Dubai where I can work with them on getting this contract to do that? So that's, that's my longer term, most altruistic goal is, you know, taking the entire world and bringing it into a place where, people have these reference points that they can actually operate in these individual communities and feel really good about doing it. Would it get to the point where you actually had these pods, but you would then, like you said, have subsets where if you had all of the people that have been part of Rise Up Rockstar that were financial type people, where they could all go in and talk about you know, let's let's take an example like our our friend Joe, uh, wealth management, right? So you've had people come through your program, and you've had various um, people that are that are experts in wealth management 
they would have like a mini summit on the newest things in wealth management or just a brainstorming session on how are you handling, you know, A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you hit it with the mini summit, right? Because what I've experienced in my career is that if I put a group of people together from wealth management, they're in that same industry. So they're going to be very hesitant to share all the, uh, yeah. all the you know, they're going to be hesitant to say, I'll make up an example, you know, my 14 year old has a heroin addiction and it's distracting me and I'm going to need to take a 90 day leave so that I can make sure that he or she is cared for because they might have a competitor right across the street that is saying, okay, now I can, I can go after Chris's company and Chris's people, and Chris's product. This is my time to advance. I think the, 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 uh, the, the, the mini summit that you mentioned though is perfectly appropriate because then it gets to be a group of people that are part of a community that trust the community that have this additional level of trust when they walk into a room or walk into a Zoom room to talk about um, philanthropy in the United States and how asset management can impact the hunger or the homelessness population. And then more globally, you know, philanthropy across the world, how the asset management industry can more, uh, more readily impact global hunger or global poverty or whatever it is. That is absolutely something that is, is on the horizon. I think we all start out as young entrepreneurs and we're super aggressive and we're going to conquer the world and we're going to just kick ass and take names and in our industry and nobody's going to stop me and I'm going to work as many hours as I can and get as little sleep as I can and I'm just going to jump ahead of all the competition. And I think maybe as we get older, things change and we realize that, well, I don't, like you said, mindfulness is, is potentially overused a little bit. Uh, maybe leaving a legacy is overused a little bit, but that's where I feel like I start to get to. Like, I don't want to leave here and not do something good for the world before I leave, right? So I don't know if we start to calm down as we get older, we shift our reference point. You're, you're probably type A, right? I would assume. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So we're, we're cut from the same cloth in that sense. And I feel like I've calmed myself and I said, yeah, I just want to do good and I want to help others. You hear all the horror stories about all the money in the world does not make you happy. It's about family, love, community, serving others. So were you that other person when you first started out, like, like most of us, or were you always this calm about <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in kind of that, that Wall Street era of greed is good mm -hmm. and make a bunch of money and wear really expensive things. And that's really what's going to define you, which it took me a while to get to figuring out that that's why I'm so passionate about identity today, because I realized how false my identity has been for a long time, for a long period. And I was so transaction oriented for so long that until I became transformation oriented, I really never figured out who I was and what I liked and why I liked it. I was just doing all these things and reacting. I come from, my father was a Ford Motor Company guy for his entire career. He was a Navy man that went to work for Ford, one job his whole life. My mother's side of the family, and my mother's a, a, a clinical therapist, so that's kind of why my brain works in really funny ways. And one of these days I'm going to sit down and it's going to, I'm going to have some legendary session and figure out that's why I do that. Thanks, yeah. mom. Uh, we're, all, we're all due for one of those sessions. Trust right? me. <laughs> yeah, totally. hundred uh, percent. But my mother's family were all entrepreneurs. I mean, her, her grandparents came over in the 1800s from England and her, one of her grandparents is this little four foot eight guy that came over, left his wife behind, came over, wound up in Chicago, was selling newspapers. He saved up enough money to, to have his own newspaper stand, which then he saved up enough money to open a confectionery store selling stationery and some other things. Got smart enough to brand the stationery for the people that were coming to visit him. Hey, Joe, here, I've got your name on this. Hey, Chris, here, I've got your name on this. And he built it into a company at 100,000 square foot headquarters. He had 12 buildings in downtown Chicago. Massive. It was like the first version of what Staples became, right? So I've got all these incredible um, lessons from people that I've learned in my in my family's lives. Um, that I look at those, and you mentioned legacy, and I think that legacy dies if I don't figure out a way to resurrect it. And while it's really scary 
leaving a corporate job, you know, as the CEO of a financial services organization, I started looking at my own core beliefs. And my first one was, I will never, ever be able to make a living that's going to support my family if I do what I'm really passionate about in helping other people. And it took me a while to really completely reframe that to, I will be able to make a living and I will be able to provide generational legacy for my family because they'll see that I had the courage to step out and do something that really meant something to me. And I did that in, you know, in, in 2013, I left the for-profit space and went to the nonprofit space. And since then we've raised over $13 billion for charities and done some just absolutely amazing, amazing things. So definitely say I haven't been somebody that's always had the perspective I do today. I've gotten there because I've fallen. I've gotten there because I've been punched in the face. I've gotten there because I've had business partners that have stolen money. I've had people that have stolen ideas. I've had, I've been a part of businesses that have combined and merged and my job has been eliminated. So I've been on the street looking for a job, but I've always had this guiding light, which was that everything's going to be all right. Keep moving forward, pursue, go, 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 because there's something there that is specifically for you, Chris. And my biggest fear has always been, you alluded to it a minute ago, you know, getting to the pearly gates and meeting the person that you were supposed to become and looking completely different from that person. That terrifies me yeah. and motivates me at the same time. And so that's why I do what I do. So when did you... So I know you're involved in a lot of things. That's why I opened the whole thing up to being like this Renaissance man, because I, I know you work out and the health part of it is is really important to you. And then different things that you do with nonprofits and charities and philanthropy and everything. When did you leave, air quotes, your full-time job or, or have you? Yeah. So that's been winding down now for a little over a year. So I've had the good fortune of being able to kind of go like this, right? Where I'm, I didn't, I'm not one of those people that will ever say, I'm so tough and I was so motivated by the mission and the passion that I had that I quit my day job and I went straight into doing this. I'm a, I'm a Midwestern kid initially, so I'm kind of conservative when it comes to certain types of risks and that risk I've never been able to. I, I've been in corporate America for too long mm -hmm. to actually pull a ripcord and say I'm out. And, you know, I've got, I've got a daughter that's got rheumatoid arthritis, so we've got, you know, Insurance is a big thing for us too. So I've got a million more excuses that I could throw at you, but um, you know, my goal is in the next 12 months that this thing is going to be standing on its own. And it's actually seven months from now. So I shouldn't even say 12 anymore. And, and we're going to go from there. Yeah, that's great. I saw somewhere and, and I don't want to get away from, I want to talk more about the other level of rockstar, but, but kind of in, well, first of all, I want to ask the question, Brazil, how did that happen? How, how did you grow or live there? And, you know, you mentioned your father worked for Ford. Did they have a factory there or something? So Ford Motor Company absolutely did. So Ford of Brazil had, um, it was the electronics division that my father was in. And Ford of Brazil was heavy, it was a very heavy electronics uh, organization. At the time that we were down there, and I, I won't say when because it'll give away exactly you know how old I am, which is scary <laughs> these days. Uh, and Ford of Brazil had just bought a Swedish company that was called Filco, and Filco made radios and televisions. Yep. And they made some really cool modern-looking stuff. So they were down there, and that was the that was the time when the automotive companies were switching from an individual production line that one car was made on to a platform that multiple different types of vehicles could be made on that same platform. So they were converting and doing a lot of that work. So it was Ford that took us down there. Yeah. Cause I was curious about how that all came. Cause you said you were, you're a Midwestern guy and I was like, wait, then he's in Brazil and then he's in New York and I was in Arizona. I was like, okay, trying to piece oh. it all together. <laughs> it's a gypsy. Most of the time when people, when I'm talking to people and, and I'm mentioning things like that, they start giving me this quizzical look like, this guy's so full of crap. There's no way he lived in all these different places. And I'm omitting like 10 places that I've lived by just telling them the ones that you come. Right? <laughs> nice. and, then, and then when they start to believe me, they say, oh, so you're a military brat. Oh, right, right. I said, well, kind of. I mean, Ford Motor Company was, was you know, pretty, pretty much like this. But right. yeah. I mean, it was incredible. And, and the, the, you know, the, the social issues that we deal with here today in the United States and, and, and you know, global issues. Growing up in such diversity, 
was so incredibly polarizing for me that you know I'm on multiple committees now with the organization that I belong to and in, in, in civically that it just boggles my mind that we can actually have the troubles that we do. I understand everybody's perspectives and I don't want to go down this path, yep. but living there was such a beautifully eye-opening experience that I have always told every single person that I know that has the opportunity and working for a global organization to try to get an assignment outside of the United States because it will not only benefit them, but it'll benefit their families so much. Yeah, it's amazing how outside of the United States, in particular places, not every place, but let's just take Brazil, there's a you know a level of poverty that's there, right? Areas that definitely struggle, but those people have such a positive attitude towards life and they just work and they continue to be good people and do their thing. Here we have everything handed to us and all we do is manufacture crap on top of crap to just make ourselves feel miserable. And it's not us like, you know, but it's, it's all of the things we deal with that don't need to be there. Yeah. I mean, when you have a system of entitlement, it tends to breed more of that. Right. And the beauty of, you know, being a Ford motor company kid, you know, watching what the unions have done to the cost of cars. And I actually, when I was in college, I joined the UAW to work at a Ford automotive plant and, you know, seeing how inefficient some of those operations were, I understand a little bit more about the way some of these things work. And just looking at, at that sense of entitlement, the, the, the positive side of entitlement, though, as ironic as this will sound, when we have people that say, oh, I'm too good for that job, I don't want to go make $10 an hour, $12 an hour, I'm not going to do that yard work or build that house. It creates a massive opportunity for people to come from other countries that say, I would love to do that. Yeah. I could. I can't wait to have the opportunity to make ten dollars an hour. I'm making ten dollars a month. Imagine the food and the money I can send back to my family if I do that. And then we shut we shut things down so that they can't. And you know, we got off on a tangent, and I apologize for that. But you know, the beauty of what we have in front of us right now, and the opportunity that that you have and that, that I have, is that we can become entrepreneurs, and we're both doing that. And I love the fact that. You know, I have, you, you call me a renaissance man. Thank you. That's been much more complimentary than I deserve. I mean, I've put businesses into the woods too, just as much as I've gone the other route. I've owned, I've owned pizza companies. I, I created a, an augmented reality software tool. that was a CRM. Uh, I've created a, a financial services company and a broker dealer, a global liquor distributor. Right? I'm excited by challenge and I'm not afraid to step into it. But where I have been afraid to step into is with both feet. And that's really hurt me in the past. And it won't hurt me in seven months. So the ramp up to starting uh, Rise Up Rockstars, you're what, five months into it now, right? Because you said you have seven. But COVID-19 hit like right at the beginning or, you know, sort of in the middle of March. Mm -hmm. Right. So like the same with me getting my bucket list and started doing, was that sort of like, okay, this is definitely the time for me. It is, you know, I've been, if we go back to 2000, you know, it was the first time that I took over a big sales team and I was doing, not only was I leading the sales team, but I was also conducting sales training and doing additional level training beyond just how to sell. So I've always loved doing that and seeing people improve one aspect or two or three or four because of something that we've worked on together has always been a massive passion of mine. So I'd been looking for ways to actually take that and move it forward. And I had signed up for some, I was just finishing out um, when COVID hit, I was just finishing a 30 day process of kind of creating a blueprint for a mastermind or an online company or an information company. And I had some of this knowledge. So when I was talking to my friends about the issues they were facing or they thought they would face, it was just it was just the perfect opportunity for me to keep that knowledge out in front of me and then have them put some things in there and then see what we could create and see what we could stick up on the wall so yeah it's it's it, it, it's all relatively new but it's just so necessary it's been really tough for a lot of people and it's it's sad for people that have lost loved ones and certain people not taking it as serious as it should have been and, and all of this stuff 
And I've had these conversations with other people where my business was just slamming when this happened. I had expanded into Colorado last year. So I had was booking entertainment here and in Colorado. And we were not only doing it for resorts, but we were doing it for large corporations. Any of the destination management companies that are here in Arizona or in Colorado, they would call and say, hey, I need synchronized swimmers in a pool for a cocktail hour, or I would need an A-list. I, I want uh, somebody asked me for Dave Matthews down at the Phantom Ranch in, in the Grand Canyon for a corporate event, right? So I was doing everything from instrumental guitarists all the way up to what whatever anybody asked for. And when this hit, it just was like, poof, it went away. You're like, it happened so quick. But I never got distraught because I had all of these things that I wanted to do that I had never been able to do. So my approach to this, and like you, has been different than a lot of people. It's been a, a relief to have this time to work on myself, to work on all these things that I wanted to do. And I just was wondering what your perspective on that was. Yeah, very, very similar to yours. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you in the deference and respect that we have to pay to the people that, that we've lost. And it's a big number. And who knows how much it'll continue to grow. So with my ultimate respect going out to the families and friends and everybody that's been part of that, um, I don't want to appear as if I'm not very respectful of that because I certainly am. Mm -hmm. I think that the opportunity that we've been given to almost cleanse our lives of some of the things that we were not doing naturally because we were so caught up in the rat race. A couple of years ago, I wrote something um, in my, every six months I put together these I am statements and my personal mission statement. And one of the things I wrote was I need to get off this hedonic treadmill because I'm running at the same pace, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm acquiring the same things, but even though they look different, they're the same. And so I feel like we have been given a gift as hard as that pill may be to swallow. We've been given a gift. It's up to you to determine whether you accept it or whether you reject it. And you and I have said we accept it mm -hmm. and we embrace it. And we're going to lean into it to figure out exactly what that gift is. And in my own experience and in my own path, the more open I have been to it, the more it's taken me to different places that I hadn't explored before. So very, some very uncomfortable growth, some opportunities and things that I never thought that I would ever do. I sat through four days of the Tony Robbins virtual unleash the power within in this chair in this all well not in this chair because I yell at you and you have to get out of your chair it was 13 <laughs> hours a day for four days and I'm thinking there's no way I would ever do something like that buddy it was one of the greatest things I've ever done I'll do it again and again and again and again and he's doing another one um, but I never would have experienced these things had we not been in the place where we are I've got three daughters and a wife and the connections that we have today are so dramatically improved because we were given the gift of, of, you know, at first it was like, okay, suckers, you're not going anywhere is the way that it felt. And then once we went through the initial morning phase of having to be around each other as much as we were, and I've got a couple of teenagers, so I say that tongue in cheek. <laughs> we, all, we all were, we all love each other now a lot more. And we say, I love you a lot more. Yeah. And we spend a lot more time together. And that helps me so much with the, the, the piece of my heart that I need to march forward into the uncertainty that Rise Up Rockstar brings into other people's lives. And I can use those examples when somebody says, how do you do it? How do you, my, my family's falling apart being around each other like this. How do you actually do it? You know, and what, what we really have to be careful of too is all of the analogies back to 2008 where people say, well, Uber was created in the, in the economic downturn and all these really big companies, Zillow and these others, they were all created in these downturns. They were, but it was different. It was economic. It wasn't this physical pandemic that, that has been killing so many people where we couldn't be around each other. And, and I, I certainly hope that we get out of that, you know, in, in the relative, you know, with as least, with as few amount of additional casualties as we can. Yeah. So I have to ask you because this, it takes a lot of guts to do what you did. You know, I've, I did sort of what you did in 2011, right after the market crashed, uh, I had a, a home automation company out here in Arizona. So when that happened, luckily for me, I didn't have a warehouse and a bunch of vans and a bunch of employees. 
And I literally just said, okay, I'm done. There's 35 bids for one job, right? And, and I, it was manual labor. I don't know why I ever thought it would be fun. It was kind of cool initially, but then it just got to the point where, okay, 2011, I'm out. I'm going to do music full time. So I did kind of what you did. You, you made a commitment towards something and you did it. I don't want to go into my story because it's not as exciting as yours. You did it with three daughters and a wife and the need to have insurance. That's a big step that takes a lot of guts. And I think, you know, what you did is, is there's a lot of people that are sitting on the sidelines looking at someone like you and going, I, I can't, how did he do that? I can't do that. I can't take that chance. There's just too much at stake. And I somehow people, we have all done it. We're all guilty. We've, we've trapped ourselves into a certain lifestyle or whatever it might be. And then you can't actually go and do what it is that makes your heart sing and your soul happy and make you smile every day and want to jump out of bed and tackle that. So what did your wife initially say when you said, okay, I'm going to go and do, this is really what I want to do. I'm going to go do this full time. Yeah. You know, she's an incredible support mechanism and she supported me in the ventures that have gone well. And she supported me in the ventures that haven't and, and been there. And, you know, she looks at the lessons that the kids learn and the lessons that she learns. And, and she's, she works for a local nonprofit here in the Valley as well. So she's a, a fundraiser and, and an event planner for them too. So she understands the difficulty of the grind and how you have to be fully committed and how you have to have people on your team that are fully committed in order to do that. So I don't operate in an environment where I tell my family things that I'm going to do. You know, we operate in an environment where we talk to each other about these things and how they're going to impact each other. And one of the coolest things about it is, you know, my girls wear rockstar t-shirts. My, you know, they, they, they talk about it. They tell their friends about it. Their friends ask me, they take the stickers that I had made and they put them up in places, you know, where it's not illegal to put them. And you know, it's, it's, I've got a, I've got a terrific support mechanism and, and I always have. And I think part of that mechanism is, you know, going back to your point of a lot of people are afraid to do what I've done. Me too. I mean, I, I, I'm still afraid of, of doing it. And there are moments of weakness that I have where I just have to take a step back and I've been coached by so many different people in so many different ways. And, you can't really see my office, but I've got post-it notes everywhere and I've got a lot of glass in here and I'm famous for taking these expo markers and writing all over the glass. So if I look over here, I look at play bigger, focus on how to serve, rise up rock star, human performance, energy, all the different things that when I'm feeling a little weak, I can focus on and say, I'm here because those things need me. I look over here and I look at extraordinary life, a life on my terms, plan to succeed, just these reminders that when I need them, they're there. And when I used to really be too afraid to take a step forward, I didn't have all these things around me. And I would allow the fear to actually consume me a little bit more to get to that place of, I'll never be able to replace the income or I'll never be able to be happy in doing something like that because I'll always worry about the bills. And it's, it is unquestionably a challenge and I'm kind of a, uh, as I had got old, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I can take some risks now because they're a little bit more educated than they were before when it was really just ego and emotion that was driving things. I mean, I'm a, I'll be 53 in a couple of weeks and I'm an obstacle course racer. I just got into Spartan racing a couple of years ago and I won my age group in an ultra and an ult. I mean, this ultra is like 30, 30 some odd miles and it was nine and a half hours and I'm 52 doing this thing. And I'm thinking, who do I think I am? And then I realized the obstacle course racing is such a great euphemism for life that as long as you keep going from obstacle to obstacle to obstacle and you don't quit and you go through the finish line, no matter what it is that you're doing, you're going to look back and say, I got another small victory. Or I got another big victory and that propels you forward to the next one. So for everybody that listens to, to your podcast, and I hope it's millions uh, because you're such a great guy, you know, one piece of advice that I would give would be get that quick win and then don't let your imposter syndrome come in and say that you got lucky. Recognize that you worked for it. Give yourself the permission to celebrate and then get another quick win because iron sharpens iron. 
you know, success leaves clues. You can, you know, you can use a million quotes from all the motivational guys that are out there to do it. <laughs> Man, it's good. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because you brought up something I wanted to ask you that I'm sort of a firm believer in is I feel like working out, taking care of yourself and pushing yourself when you're doing exercise can be translated into daily life type things. Like don't, you don't give up on that last 10 reps or whatever. And I, and I feel, I wish we could get more business people to kind of lock those two things in. Cause I think it's really important in business that you have that physical aspect of your life in check because it helps you throughout all the other things. Oh, 100%. I mean, if, if it's only even diet that we get the majority of business people to focus on, I mean, and as I'm entertaining in midtown Manhattan with people that are eating steaks at 10 o'clock at night with potatoes, <laughs> and then they're having, you know, port afterwards and whatever it is. And then they start really early in the morning with a board meeting at 8 a.m. expecting that they're just going to be on and go and go and go and go. It's like, time out. Do you yeah. understand how this food gets processed and digested in your system? Yeah. Do you know what that's going to do to you? Or the person at lunch that has the massive lunch that goes into a 1 p.m. meeting that's one of the most important meetings of their lives, and they can't figure out why they can't remember the word that they meant to say while they're up presenting. And it's like, listen, brother, this stuff all goes this way. It all interacts. And yep. people... A long, you know, a while back, I made the point: people don't look at their professional lives and their personal lives the same way, unfortunately, because everybody searches for balance mm-hmm. instead of integration. And integration is the most important piece of it all. Where you're not business and you know, you're not you're, you're not living a mullet, right? You're not you're not business one time and then you know party, and it, it, it all has to go together. Yep. Alan Lally, who was the uh, he was the CEO of Boeing and the CEO of Ford, I heard him speak once. He's got a family. He's got six, uh, six, five, five children, and, and then his spouse. And somebody said, "Well, Mr. Mullally, how do you balance running such a big company where you have a public company with all these shareholders and people just want something from you all the time? How do you balance that with your family?" And he and he laughed. He said, "Balance? No." you're searching for the wrong thing. You'll never have it. It's about integration. And I've really taken that into, into heart as we go through Rockstar, you know, one of the things that we talk about is how you handle your morning. You know, you, you can look at a Lewis House who's got a millionaire morning or all these different, those hell actual out of millionaire morning, you know, how millionaires start their day, all that kind of stuff. And I don't care if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, you have 10 bucks in the bank, you've got to do it the same way. If you optimize your day by starting off a certain way, then it just helps you move forward through it. And that's one of the biggest lessons that business people can learn is, you know, any, everybody can learn is, is how to do that. So that's, that's another thing that we actually talk about too. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's really important. And, and that's again, where we have the same thing. I, I need that to function. I need to get my brain clear. I need to get up and go to the gym, do yoga, so whatever today I did cycle. It's the only way I can function to keep things moving forward. So rockstar. Is the incubator portion still something that exists or was that just the initial phase? It is. It does. And it It does. Yeah. Okay. And then there's N90, which is the 90 day challenge of, oh, you said three goals. It's three goals. Basically each call is kind of three different aspects. So three lessons in there. Again, it's the, the introduction of of a concept, um, the community and then the hot seat. So I'm incorporating a lot of the, the incubator mastermind, from Rockstar into the N90 Rockstar. So three things in there, yes, absolutely. Okay, and then the top level that we haven't talked about, who is that for? So that's something that's in that, that I'm really excited about. And we've also got a research project underway where we are interviewing, and it's, it's a big number, I hesitate to even say it, but we're interviewing over 100,000 CEOs and senior leaders and founders around the world. Wow. Uh, six question questionnaire that then takes them into a landing page that talks about why the study is being conducted. And then the research from that will be brought back into the executive impact group, which is designed more as a, it's kind of a combination of EO and YPO. And if you're familiar with Tiger 21, it's a group with chapters all over the world now. Um, without that, without that um, minimum net worth requirement, but with all the great things that are inside of Tiger 21, and the piece that is, you know, 
my spouse just did this and I run a private company, how do I talk about it? Or my company wants me to get kidnapping and ransom insurance so that I can fly to Brazil, but they won't pay for it for my wife. Or do I need it for my kids? How do I do it? Where have you done it? Or one of the great conversations that we have that we will have in there and we've had uh, with a couple individuals that we haven't formally officially formed the group is, you know, what's a digital asset trust? And most people, most people don't know that, you know, the information that you've got and all the songs that you have on your iPod, if it's yours or on your phone and you die, your, your heirs don't have any access to it. It goes away. That's locked pictures, all that kind of stuff. So there's all kinds of interesting concepts that come through that higher end group that's designed for people that are, that are more on the lines of, private equity, I need to raise money. Is it better to go private equity? Is it better to, 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 to issue debt? Is it better to do this? A lot of the higher end financing type structures that leaders of organizations that are in that position um, go through rather than the mid-level manager that might not actually be at that phase yet where it wouldn't be as beneficial for them to sit through those conversations. But what I'm finding is with the economy, the way that it is with job elimination, with, you know, everything that's happening, unemployment where it is, there's a much greater need in the middle than there is at that high end. So I'm adapting a lot of the resource, or I'm taking a lot of the resources that we're gonna be going into that, X the research project, and focusing more on the mid-level manager that is living in fear, that needs the tools and the techniques to actually rise up to that next level, instead of living in fear of losing their job or not getting promoted or living on 3% you know, pay increase because they had a nice annual review. So who is Rise Up Rockstar for? Who's your audience? You created this. When you did it, who did you have in mind? What are the type of people that would be listening to the podcast? When they listen to this, they say, oh, that's me. I'm, I'm definitely one of those people. I should, I should get in contact with you. Yeah, thank you for asking. You know, the, 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 the people that I spoke with in the beginning, I looked at and said, okay, what do they have in common? And what does the group look like? And if I'm going to build this out, who am I really going to build it for? So the ideal person, as I'm finding, and it's evolving, which is really neat, because we it, it started off as a 35 to 50-year-old male that was an entrepreneur or a leader in their organization or had founded the company or come from a C-suite and was dealing with certain aspects in life and they wanted to rise back up. They had been knocked down for some reason, whether it was a firing or a company went under or product went under uh, and they just wanted to rise back up. And as we, as we started building that out, um, a couple of my female friends came in and said, this is exactly what we need too. Can we participate? And I said, of course. And so I initially designed it thinking, 35 to 50 year old male. And then what I realized was it's, it's agnostic. We're not talking about guy issues. You know, we're not talking about what well, we haven't at least yet talked about individual guy health issues. Um, it's more about how we really help people. So I've pulled back away from the initial person that I designed it for. And now I say it's for the person that's 35 to 50 years old that has been knocked down that is either on their knees now or trying to get back up but they can't do it on their own and they need a little bit of help. And if they're interested in being part of a community that all operates with the same mentality of, we're here to make each other better and get better ourselves. And Chris is gonna bring the tools and the techniques to stimulate the conversation and help with the training and the coaching and the, the, the performance strategies that he's learned from being a CEO to help us go back here or get to a certain place. Um, that's really the person that, that, that we want. And now with N90, it's evolved into the, the N90 vert has, has much more of that mid, mid-level feel. So it's just a, it's a beautiful group, absolutely beautiful group. And I'm having fun and, and I'm iterating, right? It's so young that I'm here, I'm here not to say I have something and I'm going to deliver it to this group. I'm here to say, I believe I've got something great, but you tell me if it's great. And then you tell me how you consume it and then I'll make it, I'll keep building it so it's better and your needs and my ability to deliver something will ultimately meet in the right spot. And, and that's been the fun of it so far. And with, let's say either all three groups or incubator and N90, either, however you, you split it up, are, do you make everyone accountable? Are there like these checkpoints along the way where 
you, you're all jumping on a Zoom and everybody's kind of giving a progress report of, okay, what happened with these goals you were working on? Let's talk about them. So the cool thing about what we've experienced so far, and this goes back to my point on getting the right people in the group, is that I don't need to hold people accountable, right? They hold themselves accountable. And when someone is going through something in the group that somebody else can see that we might not address, they get a hold of each other off cycle, whether it's a text or an email or something. So there isn't a, hey, Joe, you have to perform these four functions in order to get to the next lesson because I don't have any interest in that. You know, somebody once said a long time ago, I'm a leader, not a savior. And I love that. I'm, I, I absolutely love that. So I'm marching forward fast. And if you want to march forward fast too, I love it. Come and join me. But if you're going to sit in back and put a parachute over my shoulders and try to hold me back and hold the group back, then you're probably not the right person for this group. If you need that accountability, we can build it into the group itself by having an accountability partner or a swim buddy or whatever you want to call it. But there's nothing in any of the elements that we have that forces you to unlock something by performing functions to get there. You get that enough in your day-to-day -day doing other things. I want to provide tools and techniques and strategies that people embody and embrace and recognize that if they, if they perform accordingly, they're going to benefit from it. That's great. Okay. I know I'm going over time and I don't want to keep you. Um, so we didn't talk about cost and I assume that that might be handled with them. They first contact you and then it's something you talk about through the correspondence. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. What's the best way to either get a hold of you or go to Rise Up Rockstars and, and start the process of figuring out if one of these groups is the right thing for someone and how they get started and all of that? Yeah, thank you. There are a couple different ways. I think that there's a real easy way. And on Instagram, I'm at Chris Carnal. It's C-H-R-I-S-C-A-R-N-A-L. That's a real easy way to get a hold of me. Um, just like my email address, chris at chriscarnell.com. As egotistical as that has always sounded to me to put your own name in your email like that, I found that it's actually a pretty good marketing tool. So people <laughs> say, I don't have to think about what his company is. It drives me nuts, but perfect. Uh, it yep. is what it is. Um, so those are, those are the two easiest ways to, to take a look at it. The Rise Up Rockstar website is um, specifically tailored right now to N90. So it won't give you a whole lot of information on what the entirety of the program is, but the chriscarnell.com site talks a little bit more about kind of all of the different things that we do. And, you know, I'm happy to have the individual conversations myself. Awesome. Anything else that I missed that you want to talk about in regards to Rise Up Rockstar, um, life in general, before I let you go? You know, I, I, I appreciate that. And I've really appreciated the time. Thanks. I've enjoyed the conversation too. It's, and not so much just about me, but you know, there's so much going on in today's economy if, or in today's world that the one thing that I would like to share is just if everybody would just take a pause before they react to something. People are sending text messages that the tone is different because they're scared. People are making statements on television that the tone is different because they're scared. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows where we're going to wind up. But one thing that I, what, that I do know is people will remember you for how you react during times like this. One of my favorite quotes being, you know, initially a kid from the Midwest was the value of the farmer is not in the harvest. It's in the drought. And we're in the drought right now. People will see you in six months, six years for the way that you act today. And so it's time for us really to, elevate who we are as humans and humanity and to create the impact that we want to have lasting. And you're doing that, my friend, and I'm doing my best to do that. And, and I hope that a lot of your listeners are too. So thanks for letting me say that. Yeah. And it's important. This is really a, a great episode because I've brought this up on other episodes that I fear some people are sitting back waiting to be rescued. And I don't want that to happen. I want people to say, this is my time. Only I can do this. It's my life. Only I can make these changes or these advances or go for whatever it is that I've always wanted to do. And to hear you talk and to know that you're doing this with all you have going on in your life, it's super inspiring. And I hope that everyone that listens to this says, you know what? 
I've heard this enough. Joe's been beating this into the ground on some of these episodes. It's like no one's coming to rescue. I keep saying the Calvary's not coming. You just got to take the bull by the horns and finally put that foot in front of the other and just start. You're so right. Well, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was an honor for me to have you on here. You're you're very inspiring. I can just tell it's it's all very heartfelt, and that's what's important to me. The people that I have on here is not like you're some salesperson selling the next whatever, right? The promise of what's to come. You're living what you're trying to help others do, and that's the cool thing. You're not just kind of preaching down to people. You are living in the tr- same trench that the rest of us are, are living in, right? We want to just do better, do more, do what we love, do it with passion, help others. It's really cool to have you on, and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, buddy. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Joe. I can't thank you enough for tuning into my podcast. It's definitely an honor for me to be in your ears, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and possibly rating it, sharing it, and if you have the time, to write a review. I hope the content that I'm delivering is something very special to you, and once again, thank you so much for listening.